Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining me today, we have Sarah Troutman. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for joining me. Amanda, I'm happy to be here. It's a Sunday and we're both in like cozy slippers and outfits and we're living our best pandemic lives right now. (laughs) You said happy to be here and I was thinking it's so nice to see another human. Uh, Just one at a time though and not on the Brady Bunch screen of Zoom, right? Oh my gosh. I know. Like the Zoom fatigue. I mean, we were all talking about Zoom fatigue, what, like in like August and now it's December and like, you know, let's be real. There's like no end in sight to the Zooming. Um, but yeah, I, this is much easier to just focus on like a singular other person, um, versus yeah. Like did someone raise their hand? I, but then someone cut someone else's off, but then like my screen keeps flipping around and like different, I can see different people. It's just, it's so, uh, visually, um, challenging. Uh, so yeah. Hello, singular one person, Amanda. It's great to see you. Thank you, Sarah. <laughs> nice to see you. <laughs> Let's start by having you give a a bio, a bit about yourself for our listeners. Okay. A bit about myself. Then if we are starting with my bio, then we got to take it back to the Pacific Northwest. So many people don't realize this because I live in California. um, And I think I have a very like distinctly California vibe, but I originally am from Michigan. My parents are both from the Midwest. They moved out to Seattle when I was a baby because they're like, let's do something different with our lives. So I grew up in the lovely city of Seattle. And I went to Gonzaga University for undergrad. This is very important. Here's why. My advisor, my first advisor in undergrad at Gonzaga was a very young professor fresh out of her PhD program at University of Kansas named Stephanie Peterson. Um, Yeah. Who is now the chair of the behavior analysis program or psychology program at Western Michigan University. Uh, and I fell into behavior analysis by accident. I had a work study program at Gonzaga because I had to help pay my way through school. And within, um, in my work study, I worked for the teacher ed department and within the teacher ed department was the special ed department. And there were all these like weird nerdy people that called themselves behavior analysts. And they were like, Sarah, you should come take one of our classes. And I was like, yo, I want to make money. So I'm going to be like a lawyer or something. I'm not working with people with disabilities. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Then I eventually, they they beat me down. They just, they wore me out. And I finally acquiesced and I took a behavior analysis 101 class and I was hooked. And that was, it was over for me. So I have been in the field of behavior analysis for over uh, 20, for 24 years, (laughs) which makes me a dinosaur. I've been certified for 16 years, I think. Um, And I uh, used to, I founded and ran a behavior analytic organization, STE Consultants, that provided um, ABA services primarily for persons on the autism spectrum. And I ran that for 15 years and I sold it last year in June of 2019 um, to Cadient Behavioral Health. And they're, you know, since gone on to do some great things. And there's a lot of other organizations that Cadient has acquired. And so that's been really fun for me to see how STE has become part of like this larger group. And, and that was great. Um, and then since then, I've been doing all kinds of things. Most recently I was focused on really working with um, professional associations and organizations that helped provide support to behavior analytic organizations and individuals. And then uh, the pandemic hit and all of my work got screwed and everything in my life got turned upside down. Uh, And so everything changed. And I think uh, we were talking about this before you hit uh, the record button that we're both like, yeah. Um, I was saying that, you know, it's that whole, I think, I don't know if it's like an Instagram challenge or TikTok challenge. I can't keep track of all the social media stuff after a while, but it's the like, you know, how it started and how it's going. And so how it started in 2020 was me living my best, like, you know, post-transaction self doing work for Calaba and the behavior analyst leadership council in, you know, feeling so excited about all the events we had planned and all of the different types of, um, you know, continuing education activities. And then boom, boom, boom the pandemic hit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. the pandemic, the pandemic. The, the well, pandemic. 
let's let's start uh pre-pandemic okay let's go back to January. this is going to be like literally for the rest of our lives everything that we talk about is going to be like pre-covid and post-covid that's going to be like the phase change line right like there's not, not everything is going to have always going to be that for for like ever now and for everyone that's for like everyone right part of it all it's like a global phase change line <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna call that a solid solid line no dot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, there's no dots in that shit. Uh-uh. <laughs> so let's go back to January. Yeah. January of 2020. I know, it, which literally feels like a, a lifetime ago. Decade hasn't even been a year. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's see. For me in January, I had just bought a new car. It was a great year. I, I know. I remember car. you posting that car. I was like, ooh, this is a hot set of wheels, girl. I love it. I love it. It, it, uh... Hasn't gotten driven that much. And, mm-hmm. um, but let's go back to January. Shiny new car, shiny mm-hmm. new year. Talk to us about some of the things you had planned in the first half of the year. And what, what were your thoughts set on in January? Do you remember? Yeah. Yes, of course I do. Um, because <laughs> I have a really strong memory. It's like a blessing and a curse. Uh, okay, so let me set the stage. So I was working as a consultant for CALABA, so the California Association for Behavior Analysis, and we were planning our annual conference. And I was um, working concurrently with the conference chair, the board chair, which was Rachel Taylor. And the CALABA conference is the second largest conference in behavior analysis. And so this is something that like literally like the prior year, starting the day after that conference ends, all of the planning starts for the following year. So we were expecting, it was supposed to be held at the Santa Clara Convention Center um, at the beginning of March. We were expecting perhaps around 3,500 people from not just the state of California, frankly, but from all over the country and you know all over the world. You were an invited speaker. Um, it was going to be so fun. Calaba. Uh, yeah, Calaba, you know. Um, and then also I was working with the Behavior Analyst Leadership Council, um, to plan uh, their first, you know, big conference that they held outside of Connecticut in Boston. So that was going to be in late April. And then Ryan O'Donnell, my business partner, and I had just finished filming um, Pat Fryman and Boys Town in uh, December of 2019 for our documentary, This Way of Thinking. And so January was a huge time for us to really kind of work on editing and start getting that ready because this was going to have a very public premiere at the BALC conference in Boston because Pat was going to be a keynote speaker. We were going to have a red carpet. It was going to be this whole thing. And so I was just, I was so excited um, because what I love doing is I am deeply, deeply passionate and committed to making behavior analysis accessible, um, especially to, to younger behavior analysts by creating you know fun events, engaging events that people want to participate in, but also that they have a chance to, to do two primary things to be able to really get to know other people in order to form, you know, mentor networks and peer networks and two, to really continue to work on improving their practice for the most part. I mean, if you look at how the demographics of our field, most behavior analysts are in practice. And so that means that we're working with people and that's a really big responsibility, whoever those people are and the systems that support those people, everyone deserves to be supported and to be helped in the most meaningful way possible. And so I'm really interested in helping people do that. Um, and so, you know, between the documentary, Calaba and the BALC conference at the beginning, you know, January, 2020, the first quarter, I was, you know, stoked. I was taking my kids to Hawaii. Um, cause I'd seen you in Hawaii in July of 2019. I was taking them to Kona this time, uh, cause they had like a midwinter break. So I'm like, cool, we're going to go to Hawaii. Ryan and I had this like feedback session for this way of thinking in LA. So we got to sit down with like Rachel Taylor, um, Joe Sheehan, uh, Justin Leaf, um, Daniel Mendoza, just to kind of get some feedback. I mean, we were just like, we were feeling ourselves. I was feeling myself. Um, and so I had a tremendous amount of optimism in January, 2020, and was just really excited about everything that was going to transpire, um, you know, in March and April of that year. And, and that's where I was at. What about you? Oh, I just hearing the word optimism and think about the year started. So with so much hope, um, Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I had, we had launched a business, Jay Katari and, and myself, yes. um, Doby, Distinguished yep. Organization, because of course we're nothing but, if not distinguished yeah. organization of behavioral enterprises. And we were super excited and really launching in January. We had formed in the fall of 2019. We had lined up a, a combination of 
Uh, we had some members uh, organizations. So essentially autism uh, organizations and companies that we would provide both business and clinical support to. Because we felt you can be both profitable and ethical. Agreed. And for myself, I was always lacking the business sense. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I've got the science and I like to keep learning more and more about it and refining that. And Jay really is a masterful businessman. So together, we were, we were, we had it going. We were already. I had taken a page from Pat Fryman where he said one time, how many, how many talks do you do a year? And other people have shared that they've had this conversation with him as well. And they're like, oh, I, I don't know. And well, I guess I have like four next week. And and he said 12. He said he's very intentional. He picks which ones they are, he signs mm-hmm. up, he has his year planned. Yeah. And I was like, I'm gonna do that. So in January, I had 12 trips planned. Mm-hmm. I had about one a month. Uh, March was two. Mm-hmm. I was actually really excited for my first Calaba. Super stoked to have been an invited speaker. Everyone was so surprised. I lived out in Hawaii and hadn't been to Calaba. But- I know, including me. I was like, what? How is that even the thing, Amanda? Like, sheesh. Yeah. Yeah. I know, but you got to remember, I was living in Boston and going to grad school and doing mm-hmm. my doctorate for quite a bit. And then I kind of went to Hawaii to hibernate somewhat. Yeah. And I, I was, I was super excited about also a trip to Thailand. I was going to be speaking there. I've never been to Thailand. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking this is fantastic. So March had two, December had none, mm-hmm. but on average I had 12 trips and some of them were connected with what we were doing with Dobie. Some of them were uh, invited events. And for every single one of them, I had tied a family or a friend a couple of days to, to either end mm-hmm. because I decided it was going to be about really making sure that I focus on what was important. And gosh, that's really shifted somewhat. And it's been magnified in a lot of other ways. I would say I started my year with intention, mm-hmm. with a lot of intention and had what felt like a plan. Yeah. And as we all know, plans are just working guides and outlines that change all the time. Yeah. And no matter if we want to change them or not, and they're not necessarily always in our control either. And that's been, I think, like the biggest, um, you know, kind of lesson of this year is just like, girl, what are you going to do when stuff's happening that you can't control? How are you going to respond? You know, what are, what are the choices? How do you live through your values in the midst of, you know, chaos and heartache, right? Um, and that's what I feel like this year has been chaos and heartache. Um, I couldn't agree more. I think yeah. those are perfect words. Yeah. Off- well, cause I remember, you know, like if we go to like March, like I saw you, so you flew in a little early cause your talk at Calaba was about 10 years of dissemination. Right. So it was just going to be this, you know, kind of great, um, you know, discussion on like, why has this been really important to you? How have you done this? And obviously just, you know, spoiler alert, you were able to do this talk through Calcella when we had to like pivot online. And so it was awesome. And, you know, I loved it because I was the one that was like hosting you. <laughs> so it was just a, such a great presentation. And you were like, oh my God, Sarah, I'm so looking forward to doing this. But I remember it was just like the most, I almost like for a while, and I don't know if you felt this way too. I like blocked out what happened at Calaba for a while because I like literally couldn't, it was so like traumatic for me because that was something that I'd worked on professionally for an entire year. And I just knew the kind of financial resources that the association had put into this conference. And I knew that the effect and the consequences of canceling it on site were going to be really, um, I couldn't, I couldn't overstate the, the impact that that was, it was going, you know, to have. Um, and it was just like the bizarre, like, so, you know, just briefly, just to tell people, you know, we, the first case of novel coronavirus in Santa Clara was identified on us, I think Friday, February 28th or Saturday, February 29th. I was in Reno with Ryan. We were doing a pre-screening of this way of thinking in a feedback session. I flew back to the Bay area, like the next morning, you know, between that Saturday and Thursday, when we were opening um, registration and starting events for the conference, the board and the executive committee met like, you know, umpteen times to kind of figure out like, what do we do? We don't know. Like, do we keep moving forward? You know, and we basically decided like, Hey, we're going to listen to the guidance of, um, the Santa Clara department of health. And we'll, you just use science as like our, of course, since we are a science-based profession, we'll use science and make science and database decisions. And I was in the like bowels of the Santa Clara convention center, working on getting some exhibitor booths set up and getting some shipments in for Calaba. And someone like pings me on Facebook and they're like, Hey girl, 
like, you should probably watch this news conference going on. And so I click on it and it's, you know, Dr. Sarah Healy from Santa Clara department of uh, health. And she's like, we don't want anyone gathering for more than 50 people. Um, this is like, you know, really this spread is right now it's starting. We, we don't know how we're going to contain it. We don't know where it's going to go. And here we are about to welcome 3000 plus people into the very area that is having at that time, the second largest outbreak after Seattle, Washington, which had like that initial outbreak. And I just like sprinted, sprinted to the Santa Clara, um, to the Hyatt Regency and talked to Matt McAleer, the executive director, talked to Greg Elsky, who's the president of Calaba. And like, long story short, we had to cancel the conference on site. And that night, like you were there, I was there, we, because you were with Fado was there. I mean, and we we're all just like at the bar, like in this like kind of like not, I think of course, none of us understood at that moment that that was going to be the last time that we were all going to be together in a like that for the rest of the year. No one, like we didn't know. So people were just like, well, you know, Katie and still had like their party. We all showed up. Everyone was just having fun, you know, and people just kind of like slowly dissipated to the wind the next day. Like you and Feta like went out to Napa for a couple of days. Like I went home cause I was just like really sad and like just to kind of recover. And then I was like, well, we'll see what happens, you know, and literally in the Bay area, we were in a shelter in place nine days later of which we did not emerge for months. And then we kind of emerged and we we're back in a shelter in place right now as we speak. Um, and that was like the beginning of, of the, the shift um, of, you know, totally from my perspective, like me losing all control over anything going on in my life and then having to like pivot, you know, when everything that I was supposed to be doing and everything that I'm used to be doing was like completely and totally like ripped away from me within weeks. I was just saying that, you know, I was adding a couple of days on either end of every trip for families or friends. And for me, it was the time with Feta and Moo and, mm -hmm. and the entourage of people that come mm -hmm. <laughs> with that family. And I, I like kind of messed up my flight uh, in the sense that I booked it a day before Calaba, but was planning to stay several days after with them. And I remember because, you know, we're driving down there from her house. And because I stayed the night before, I was like, oh, hey, girl, you know how you said I could stay after? How about also that night before? Mm -hmm. um, not a problem, of course. Yeah. And so we're driving down and she's, you know, always, always, always uh, a prankster telling jokes. Oh, yeah. Okay. I can always just lots of fun. And uh, she, we were pulling up and she's like, you won't believe this. No way. Look at my phone. It says, she's like, they just canceled the conference. And I'm like, uh-huh. And you're like, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, sure. So I'm like grabbing my bags out of the car. She's like, girl, you can just leave those in the car. You can just leave that in the trunk. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, look, I see other people. They're walking mm -hmm. in. Kristen had come from Maui, Kristen Coba Burt. Like I was yeah. like, no, no, we're good. We're good. You're full of shit. Yeah. And walk in and realize, no, she's not kidding. This one time she's telling the straight up legit truth about yep. something that was so unbelievable. And I stayed that night at the hotel the one night because Kristen had flown in. She had had all of like already had hand wipes and was like wiping down the light switches, which pretty sure that's how we roll at hotels anyhow. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit maybe more thorough now. And yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful for all the photos that we took that night um, because I think you're right. We were in this state of like shock. I think it was yeah. just the first beginning piece of it. And I know I, I spent some time with Greg in particular. So I know how hard it impacted everyone, especially those like yourself who had been, yeah. spent so much time planning and preparing and the financial investment. I have to say, especially now knowing what we know, it was such a leadership kind of thing to do, right? It was a, it was a, a powerful thing. A decision yeah. had to be made. Yes. And like you said, let let data and science be our guide. Um, the next day, the next day, Kristen flew. She changed her flight, flew home, and I just thought, all right, well, instead of two or three days after the event, I've got this whole week mm -hmm. uh, with Feta and Moo. And I think the shelter in place was the day I flew out. Yeah. Um, back to Hawaii. And the day at Napa, though, I do want to talk about that for a second. Mm -hmm. The day at Napa, 
I, I don't think I'd ever officially formally met Greg Elsky or his yeah. wife, Heather. Heather, yeah. And, uh, we and Suzanne and Roger. Yeah, yeah, we were with Suzanne and Roger. Um, let's go. And so it was just this great group of people. We started with a brunch and I noticed, you know, Greg's like, hey, are you having a drink? And I'm like, oh, it seems like, yes, we're having this kind of day, especially if we're headed to Napa and we have our DDs, our drivers. Mm-hmm. And we just talked, we talked about all the visions of the conference. We talked about what are the implications of this? We tried to wrap our heads around that. And then we just continued to drink Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) that day responsibly y'all. And, um, but we had this really, really cool moment in particular, and I'll share it where we were all walking around this, this winery, this vineyard, and we were saying it just like the, the trail went nowhere. Like we walked this whole thing around this like lake or pond and then it just stopped and it was paved and it just stopped in the middle of these like two trees. Then we turned around and there was this swing, but the swing was on the ground, wasn't swinging anymore. Mm -hmm. And it looked like its legs were sticking out. Like it had just given up. It seemed like an exhausted swing. Mm -hmm. And I started telling them all these things I see and how I see these as signs and I'm personifying these objects. And, and then I think, I, I said, you know, the world has gone mad. We've all gone mad. And then, of course, Heather's just naturally beautiful and looks like Alice from Alice in Wonderland. The story just kept going. And so we all, I, I put us all in this, like, image of, uh, of Alice in Wonderland. And I was like, this is just a sort of trippy experience. But we're having fun. But we've all kind of, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And as you call it, the shift. Yeah. the shift was happening. You know, I feel like the never ending story, right? And like with Atreyu and the, the Falcor and it's like the shift, the big thing is coming. Mm-hmm. And boy, that feels such like such an accurate statement. We yeah. just didn't know what was coming. No, I mean, at all. Um, and, you know, and I think initially it, people were just like, just like terrified, right? Because this is this like novel coronavirus and especially for people providing services, like what do we do or not do? And then obviously in the US, because there's been such a, um, all of our, the experiences that people have related to this have been so specific to where you live, right? Because the it's your local municipality, the state that you reside in, et cetera, that are making the rules. And so you could have a very, very different experience like you did in Hawaii, where you guys had very strict lockdown in California, we like everything closed, but we weren't kind of like, you know, followed in the same way that you were in Hawaii. And then like, I have like, like my girlfriend, like Zara in, um, who's a behavior analyst and the past president of SCABA. And she's like, we're acting like there, there ain't nothing going on here, you know? And so it's, that's been like the real, like fascinating piece of this is it's been so geographic specific and state specific. Um, and then like, especially in California people, you know, the whole, like, what is essential workforce? Like, do we work or we not work? Like, do, you know, what's happening for kids in school districts and all the schools like shut down, like with, you know, I mean, no, you know, forethought, like my kids were going on spring break. They shut down their schools like two days later. And I remember talking to like my ex-husband, their dad, and he's like, so yeah, like, do you want to take the kids for a week and I'll take them for a week and they'll probably go back to school in April. And I was like, Nick, I'm telling you right now, they're not going back. <laughs> like, this is not good. Um, and so to just kind of have to like navigate for so many people to just really have to navigate that and those stressors for themselves, but then also, you know, for the, the families that we serve and the clients that we serve, like, oh my gosh, like, how do we kind of support these people? I mean, it was just like chaos and, and I, you know, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, the, the best silver lining I see of this year is the way in which people have been willing, especially within our field to support each other, offer, you know, resources, um, help guidance, um, you know, in a way that I've never seen, like, I'm, you know, me, like I'm a very collaborative person. I don't believe in like holding on to information. I believe in sharing information. I know that you are the same way kind of like, why would we like keep these great things to ourselves when so other people could benefit from them? So let's like share them far and wide. Um, but I think for a lot of other people that hasn't been how they behave necessarily. And I think, especially depending on, you know, kind of the competitive landscape and business landscape where you practice, you know, there might be like different histories and experiences, but like COVID allowed people to just be like, oh my gosh, if we've never been able to do this before, I think like we all realize like we're in this together and like it's, we really need to lean on each other, support on each other, 
you know, provide each other with information, you know, cause it was just changing like rap so rapidly um, in order to make sure that a, you know, on, from a personal level, we could kind of like maintain, but B that we could make sure that we were tr- given providing support to the families that we work with and, and the clients we work with as much as possible, because, you know, those families, I mean, you know, no pre-planning. I mean, nothing. It was just like, this is how life is one day. And then, you know, the next day, like you're not in school, everything's closed. You can't go anywhere. And it was, you know, it was just, it was insane. Um, And so I feel like that first couple months was like trying to wrap our head around it. But then like, as we kind of moved towards the summer, we were like, okay, like we're kind of starting to figure out like how we do this. Right. Um, And, and so I felt like there was kind of, you know, people were kind of like leaning, like, just kind of like settling like okay like yeah we're we got this you know like okay we can you know serve these kids or not, not this way but here's some you know procedures we want to do if we want to do in person like I think I feel like and I don't know if it was that way for you because I know Hawaii was in like such a different situation in terms of really you know rest- like you guys your movement was like literally really restricted um but I felt like in the summer it was just like we can like it's out you know it's warm we're outside like wear a mask like Okay. And I felt like we were kind of catching our breath for a minute. Yeah. I almost think of June around that time as false hope, you know, yes. um, and hope is good. We need hope to get us through. So I will take even false hope for a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it really got me thinking about my life choices and circumstances. I live alone and I don't have any pets. I love living alone. I considered my pets, the turtles, the rainbow macaw, you know, the geckos. There was plenty of of nature (laughs) in my life. And I thought, you know what? I kind of dig it. I see other people who are struggling and they're like, I have too many people in my house or I don't know what to do or we're going stir crazy. And then there came a moment where I was really, really missing people, a person any person. We were very, very restricted. Mm-hmm. Um, the grocery stores, you know, had head counts and temperature checks and it was the local store, which I lived in a town of four, 4,000. So it's very small in that part of the Island. I choose to live in the most remote part of that Island of Oahu on the North shore, because I don't like huge crowds all the time, despite loving people, certain people. Um, but I, I remembered, and it was almost like the last person to hug me for months was Feta as I got into my Uber and got on the plane and went to an unknown situation on the islands. At first, I was so grateful that I lived on the islands because I thought, wow, we're pretty segregated. We're mm-hmm. remote. We can we can put different protections in place. People can't just drive across the borders. Like, I felt pretty good about that. And then it kind of got to the situation where, you know, if we ever did get completely stranded or lose our port access, there's three days of food for everybody on the island of Oahu. Mm-hmm. It wasn't going to be long before people were, you know, not just hoarding, but also I think there was that fear that yeah. there's going to come a place where it's going to be people fending for themselves. And that, that was a, a really interesting thought. But come June, we had just started um, being able to go back to a restaurant except it was 50% capacity, had to have access to the outside, like doors open, Um, no more than six people at a table. They didn't have to all be from your same household. And my birthday's in June. And I waited like a week or two before, you know, we went out before I wanted to go out because I think then I started developing, I I don't want to diagnose anything here, but I didn't want to leave my house after a bit. I was yeah. like, no, 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 it's not safe. Or I don't want to go. Or I just don't know. Or the mental exhaustion of, does that person have a mask? Did I wash this mask? Where's my other mask? Mm-hmm. Like, what's on my hands? I didn't bring the hand sanitizer. I can't find any hand sanitizer. And I was like, you know what? I'll just stay home. I'll just stay home. Yeah. But for my birthday, I gathered, I was, it was so interesting. If you could only sit with five other people at, for one night within almost this entire pandemic, who would it be? Yep. And it was like, and who's comfortable going out and who's available on that day, who doesn't have restrictions or families that they aren't, you know, worried about their safety or they're, they're not immunocompromised or what have you. And I remember like, gosh, I'm going to remember that forever. It was probably the best, one of the best birthdays I've ever had. And it was really because it super increased the value of just people. And Mm -hmm. we went to the local Thai restaurant, who I'm also friends with the owners and the chefs there. Of course, when you live in a town with four restaurants, you definitely make sure you know 
you, you try to get in when you can because it's they only seat like 15 anyhow. So mm-hmm. we were a table of six. We were essentially the whole restaurant because it was 50% capacity. Mm-hmm. And they were so happy to be open. And I had ordered takeout from them throughout the pandemic. And I was tipping 100% of, of what my meal cost because I wanted them to be in business when this was over. Yeah, I also didn't know that that would be like, you know, a six, seven, eight month kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, but still I want them to be in business for sure. And they brought out a birthday cake. Um, and I thought, wow, the Thai restaurant made me a birthday cake. No, no, no. My good friend Molly did. <laughs> and she brought it and it's a carrot cake. Cause fun fact, I'm allergic to chocolate. Mm-hmm. What? I know. But there was candles in the cake and they were trying to like, you know, not let the flames go out and they were covering it with plates. And I had this like almost panic moment where I was like, I can't blow on a cake. I know. What is this about? Who's like, this isn't safe. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What are they trying to like on my birthday? Just, I'm not going to, you know, kill my five closest friends um, (laughs) on the island there. And so I actually went over with a plate and I like fanned it. Yeah. Fanned it out. And I thought to myself, it was like, it brought me back to what, where we were and what was going on. So it was a lot of fun. It was amazing. And then I thought, I don't know if I should have gone out and we definitely will probably never spit on cakes and then hand them out to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we can now recognize that that is gross and yeah, Yeah. likely our behavior has uh, changed permanently. (laughs) I know. Cause like Ryan and I, like we decided, I mean, cause I was like homebound for like two and a half months. I didn't go anywhere. And I'm like you, I travel constantly. And so it was like insane to me. And we finally were just like, we need to like memorialize what's happening right now in our field. Like we need to get out and talk to people um, because this is just, I mean, this is going to, again, it's going to be, it's history for all of us. So we started doing socially distanced outdoor shoots at the end of May in Reno with Carrie Millico. And then we came down to the Bay um, and we shot um, uh, Julia Feebig and Matt McAleer and Amber Valentino and Fade and Moo. Cause I had reached out to her and she, cause she had written like that whole article, you know, that was published in stat news about like, you know, dealing with a severe autism during a pandemic. And it was just like this great time together. And like, I had missed her cause I hadn't seen her since March. And this is by now like late May. Um, and like you said, like, there's always like an entourage of Fade is even in COVID, you know, there's just a number of different people. And just like, it's a place where people want to be just because, that was her, you know, like, like, of course you want to be around. And of course she had to feed, you know, she cooked like a meal for like 10 million people. And there's five of us. Um, and, and that was so special. And then we went down to LA and like filmed as many people in LA as possible. I mean, we sat down with Anthony, Antonio Harrison and LA Kazemi and all of her staff and, um, Adele Nadowski, uh, Tara Femi, uh, Daniel Mendoza, Carolina Gonzalez, Jonathan Tarbox, Rachel Taylor, Courtney, uh, Tarbox, Sarah Litva. I mean like everybody. Cause LA was like just starting to open. We shot in, and then in Sacramento later that summer, we shot, you know, Marlisha Bell, Kyle Miguel, um, Meg Heineke, uh, Andy Chavez, um, Annie Escalante. I mean, we shot like 29 people during COVID in social distance and it was just so, fun. And I remember like when we first started, I mean, every shoot, I was just like, so excited to see people. And like you were saying, it just like brought me in contact with like how important those connections are and just to kind of share in stories and everyone was just so excited to participate. Um, and you know, we were able to get that like sliver, especially in California before things went kind of like sideways again. So we like unbeknownst to us, of course, like had like timed it perfectly where people felt comfortable. It was warm of summer was outside. Everyone was like, you know, cool with it. Um, but it was just like also like the surreal, but we were like, we have to document this history. And especially obviously for the piece that we did with Feta and Moo, like at that time, of course, I had no idea um, how important that piece was going to be um, because of what happened in the fall. Yeah, I was gonna say, or how horrible 2020 was actually going to be, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 You know, when, <laughs> During the pandemic, I, I spoke to Feta every day, every day. And that's kind of how we survived uh, as far and as long as we did uh, the pandemic together. And I thought, you know, there's some really amazing, like 
strengthening of friendships that occurred in a time of such isolation. And I actually had a calendar on my wall, like, you know, like an old school calendar, like who I don't even like use them, uh, uh, you know, unless it's on my phone or on my computer. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, so from March on, I started writing down who I talk to every day, just on the calendar. And I have just, I just started writing Feta and then like a line and then like just, you know, hash, like it just continued. I'm like, dot, 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 all the way, all the just arrows. And, um, but prior to visiting and coming out to Cal Alba, I had, I, for Cal Alba, I had complimented her on her profile picture. I was like, whoa, you got professional shots. These look amazing. Mm-hmm. She's like, girl, it's just my friend. She's a great photographer, Stasia. Shout out to her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, she's in the autism mom in the community. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, she's like, when you come, we'll have a, you know, a headshot for you. We'll do a photo shoot that's not a damn selfie. Okay, Amanda? And I was like, okay, Feta. And then, it was like two days after, you know, the Napa day and a couple of days after Calaba was not happening. And I said, she goes, Hey, come on, let's go. We're still going to do this photo shoot. And I was like, we're doing a photo shoot. It's like the end of the world. And she goes, <laughs> yeah. she goes, well, you're like, at least you can have a good headshot. If you're, we're all going to die. You could have a good yeah. headshot. <laughs> you got to go out looking great. That's um, right. No, what she said to me was, she said, yeah, the world's ending. So F your headshots. We're going to go do a best friend, like photo shoot, like mm-hmm. a senior picture mm-hmm. photo shoot. It is the cheesiest thing ever. I mm-hmm. am so, so, uh, they would be embarrassing if they weren't so endearing. And I'm so Oh, happy. I've seen them all. Yeah. <laughs> well, not yet, friend. Not yet. Oh, there's, there's some, more. some secret. Okay. Okay. I'm waiting for the high, high resolution ones, you know, first Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, maybe we'll get like three of these. No, now I need every single one. And if we're going to talk about lessons learned, um, you know, tell people you love them, Mm -hmm. which we did daily and, and, you know, screw things, screw Mm -hmm. things completely and, uh, go out when it's safe to go back out together and do yourself a favor and get a best friend photo shoot with somebody close in, in your life mm-hmm. and be ridiculous. Do it senior photos like, mm-hmm. or, or, wait, what does that used to be? Glamour shots. Oh, Go for real. I have some with now. my mom and me. Oh girl, they are just mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. So what about lessons learned? Uh, lessons we're learning. Uh, okay, lessons we're learning. Um, life is short. Uh, 2020 is long. 2020 is, yeah, that is the longest year that's ever existed, but life is short and it's, you know, I I don't want to say like, I don't know. I mean, cause you know how some people are like live every day, like it's your last. And I think that that is challenging, um, because you know, things happen and we get caught in things. And so I don't know, I don't know that I think that that's attainable or at least it's not attainable for me. But what I've tried to do through 2020 and especially, you know, after um, losing Feta and Moo in the way that we did uh, is, is I've been trying to be more vocal with people about how I feel about them. Um, and I think that that's been really important. I'm someone that is not necessarily like I have a lot of passion for things. I have a lot of energy for things. But when it comes to like matters of the heart of my heart, um, I can be very guarded. Uh, and I've been trying to, I've tried to do a much better job of just like being the softest possible. Um, and whether or not that's reciprocated or not, like I'm cool with it, but at least like, you know, where you stand with me and I know where I stand with you. And, and that's been something that's important. I mean, and I told you this, like I talked to Feta a day and a half before she died and I had been mad at her and we had her this really like loving conversation and she was crying and I was crying you know, cause we've been recording our podcast, which was, you know, so much fun. And just was like something that brought so, so much joy to both of us, but Faye and I worked very differently and I'm a behavior analyst and I'm very systematic. And you know, that girl was not at all. She's like, <laughs> I'm, you know, the talent I'm just showing up. I'm like a wrecking ball. And then you can just figure out all this shit later, Sarah. Cause I don't want to deal with it. And, you know, so we had to have this like conversation and I'd been upset and, you know, it was just like this very loving thing you know, that was very precious. And, you know, we were both like just honest with each other. And so I will say like, and I don't know if you feel this way too, like when, 
after, you know, when she died, at least I felt there were no words left unsaid. And that made me peaceful about that. Am I okay with them not being here? No. Am I okay with, you know, the way everything happened? No. Do I think it's unfair? Yes. Um, but did I say all the things that I wanted to say and did I left, there was nothing that wasn't said. And, and I am trying to do that all the time now. It's like, I just, I don't want to have things left unsaid. Mm. Yeah. Um, gosh. So let's set the stage here for a second. It was in September Mm -hmm. and I was writing a chapter on sustainability and social injustices and how they are intertwined. And it was pretty depressing. And I think I was asked to write it because I can, can come across as positive and inspirational. Um, when in the I'm midst of heavy, that, depressing shit, I'm like, when I'm feeling it. And what happened was I'm writing this chapter. It's due on the Friday and we get the news that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Right. And I submit the chapter that night and I add an extra statement that says, I appreciate you reaching out to me for my positivity and and all these things that you had written about and why you asked me to write this chapter. But it's hard to talk about hope when you don't really see it. And I was like, so um, I think I still did a a pretty decent job. Um, Short, short story there is I never published it. So stay tuned. There's some, some, some stuff to come from that with further reflection, but it was that Friday that Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. It was the following Monday that the field lost in the world, Jose Martinez Diaz. Mm -hmm. And that Wednesday, so that was a Monday, the 21st, which was Feta's birthday. That Wednesday, Feta and I spoke for three and a half hours. Now we talked every day, but not three and a half hours. And we Mm -hmm. were FaceTiming. So we were, you know, talking, hanging out, eating food together. Uh, It works sometimes, the time zone's in your favor (laughs) when when you want friends up. And I just said to her, I don't know what's coming next, but whatever it is, I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to survive it. Like, I don't, I just don't know. Mm-hmm. And her response to me was with me by your side, bitch. <laughs> and that gave me hope. Yeah. And then two days later, you know, they died. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, that's it. The world's taken all, you know, the, the love and compassion that these two have and just dissolved it. And that's how I was feeling that day. The week before, or the couple of days before I, I had said, where are the kind and compassionate people? And like, you know, I feel like we're, we're going in this path I, I don't like, and then to lose them just completely knocked, I know both of us off of our feet and what came subsequently, like moments after and still is pouring in is so much love, kindness, and compassion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not ready to have a silver lining on their deaths. Screw that. Yeah. I will say that I have been, you know, it, um, overwhelmingly reminded of the kindness. And I feel like a lot of the generosity, which is a, the way I, w- I will describe Feta just so generous, as you were saying, with her food, with her home, with her love, with her knowledge, maybe not with her podcast tech skills. She's the talent, as she would say, as you said, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I, 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 Kristen Kobelbert flew over from Maui, picked literally me off the ground. Mm-hmm. She flew with me to get me to my parents' house, which is where I still am, yep. by the way. <laughs> Yeah. Cause we saw each other. Cause you guys came to the funeral first. So we saw each other at the bury at the burial, um, which was like this bizarre day. It was like in the midst of like all of these like wildfires in California. So it was a hundred degrees, but you couldn't see the sun. And we were in this like, de- like arid desert, like area of the Bay. So it was bizarre because like, of course, like, you know, Fado is, um, you know, of middle Eastern descent. This was a Muslim funeral. So it honestly felt like we were like, had been trans like ported to the middle east it was so i i just it was the most surreal thing and like i had been you know working furiously with ryan to get out um our piece about fade and moo as soon as possible just because we're just like we're the only people on earth that are sitting on this footage of them no one has this but we do and so we felt like deeply deeply responsible and we knew how much she wanted it out there and i knew how much she would especially in 
the wake of their death would she would want all she would want this this is it was deeply important to her for her story to be told for people to really understand the plight of parents for people to understand what it's like to live with a child with severe autism that you love with your entire heart but also is just the create some of the most challenging things ever imaginable right um and then i remember you know the burial and you, you know yeah you and kristen were there and then you guys flew the next day down you know to vegas and then i came what like three weeks later for dinner yeah. To, yeah um and i i think like and this is you know typical fashion like for me personally i do a really good job of like pushing things that are hard for me to deal with out of the way and so i get busy and, and do other things and i think even for me to truly allow myself to understand the levity of this loss to understand the impact that it's had on me that impact that it'll have on me likely forever I don't, I don't know that I fully get it yet, you know, because I've to do that means that I have to allow myself to be grieve in a way that just is so hard for me and uncomfortable. Um, but it also, you know, again, even more than the pandemic was a real jolt of like, Sarah, what do you want to be doing? And if there are things that you are doing that you don't like, fuck that shit fuck yeah. that shit change it yep i'm out like way way out um or i'm in all all in and i you know do not wish for anyone to have those types of like you know conversations with themselves or can you know facing those types of like choices as a result of the, these specific circumstances. I wish that on no one. Um, but it's been a real, you know, this entire year has been just a, a real year of like being able to look at myself in the mirror and truly ask the questions of why am I here? What are, what is the purpose? What are, you know, what am I doing? What are my values? And then to make conscious decisions and in, in on an everyday basis to really live to those and to allow things that are not aligned with those to fall away and like be okay with it. Be okay with it. You know, I didn't anticipate, didn't anticipate leaving my house to go mm -hmm. to one of my best friend's funerals and never coming back. Yeah. But I think what you just talked about kind of summarizes why. And I love Hawaii dearly. Um, I'm grieving the loss of living there. Mm -hmm. It it got me really though. Where where did I need to be? Where could I go? Where would mm -hmm. I feel safe? Who would let me cry? Let me scream? Let me be alone? Let me drink? Still feed me? Yeah. Um, my parents. My yeah. parents. It was that was the answer. So Kristen flew with me to California because there was no direct flights to Vegas. Yeah. And there's always direct flights, but it's a pandemic. Yep. And Feta kept saying, come to my house, come to my house. And I was like, I can't come to your house. I said, Feta, if I, if I go anywhere and it's the last place I could ever go again, it has to be to my parents. Mm -hmm. And she says, fine, but just stop by and see me on your way to mama and Papa Kelly's is what she calls my parents, which mm -hmm. I don't call them that. And as it turned out, our layover was was in the area uh, on the day of their services. And I was like, that bitch, she still mm -hmm. gets her way, right? I know. Stop by my house on the mm -hmm. way to your parents, totally. Um, and she wanted me to leave Hawaii. She wanted me, so in August, we ended up dissolving Dobie. Yeah. It's hard to maintain a business if you're not working and, and if you're not able to travel and see people and support. We were do still doing support, but different kinds of support that we could provide you know, remotely. Mm -hmm. And so here I am still at my parents' house. Fun fact, my landlord gave me a move out letter um, an hour before I went to the funeral. Mm -hmm. I actually went back in my house, dumped out half my suitcase and asked myself if I never come back again, which was a strange thought and I don't, didn't mean it. But I said, if I never come back again, what is the most important thing in my house? Yeah. I, I went and grabbed a box of family photos, mm -hmm. and my passport. And I was like, I think that's all I need. Yeah, I'm and good. Love and healing and and so forth. Um, and there's another example of my friends who all moved me out, or my friend who helped pay the plane ticket to get me, you know, to the mainland. We still, I'm still going to call it the mainland probably forever. It's fine. And it was when I was here though 
um, that I got, I got headhunted. I got contacted by a recruiter. Mm-hmm. And this is a funny story. I, I don't know if I had told you the story and I don't mind sharing for the listeners either. It was so bizarre. It was a LinkedIn message. And they had messaged me when I was in Hawaii and I had told Feta about it. And she was like, good, take the job. You should call them. You should leave, leave Hawaii. You need to be close to me. Come to my house. And I was like, oh, whoa, pump the brakes, friend. And so they had messaged me about this job. And I wrote back, is it in Hawaii? And they said, no. And I said, well, then I'm not interested. Thank you. And then a couple of weeks later, they messaged me again. And I said, is it remote? And they said, no. And I said, well, then I'm not interested. Like mm-hmm. I live in Hawaii. This is what I do. And then two or three weeks into being here in Vegas, they send me one more message. And they said, we know you don't want to talk to us. We understand you don't want the job. It's in Florida. We know you don't want to go from Hawaii to Florida. Will you just consider having a conversation with us and our CEO? And I told my dad that, and my dad was like, well, it might give you something to like brush your hair for, you know, maybe it's good to sit up for a minute and breathe and talk to people. And I was like, all right, I'll try it. Just really as a practice to like trying to resume some sort of normalcy. And in a year full of so much loss and transition and grief and trauma and heartache, I started the year with a car that still only has about 3000 miles on it, by the way. And I'm ending the year with an incredible, incredible work opportunity. And I'm looking into buying a house in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, what? Whose life is this? This Mm -hmm. is not the life I started with. But the point that you made about what's important, what are those values? When to throw it back to the talk for Calaba on the decade of dissemination, I realized these patterns. Right after 9-11, I thought, did I want to be a teacher or did I want to do this thing I had learned to do with this child with autism as my part-time job? So that's Mm -hmm. when I pursued ABA. My PhD dissertation was canceled the day of the uh, manhunt of the Boston Marathon bombers. And I got rescheduled for my great-grandmother's 100th birthday, which was super cool. Had lunch with her, got a PhD. What? Mm -hmm. Um, But that's when I decided, did I really want to be in Boston? And that's when I moved to Hawaii. And then I thought COVID was really my phase change line, but I think it was the loss and the reframing mm-hmm. that their loss um, has in my life. And I thought, am I doing what I want to do? And because I love rainbows and turtles, is there another reason keeping me in Hawaii? And the answer was no. Yeah. No. So it's, it's a transition and here mm-hmm. we go. And now we're transitioning into a new year. Mm-hmm. Hey, you want to talk about that? And you're, you were mentioning some uh, hope and some things that are, you know, on the horizon. Yeah. So I think for me, what, you know, similar to you, like COVID was a huge phase change line and then losing Feta was even bigger. And it made me realize, you know, the importance of the relationships that I have with mostly with women. Um, And it made me realize, you know, that I've been worked really hard to develop a very robust professional and personal network. And these are, you know, ladies, you know, of course this this includes you girl that like hold me down in all different types of ways. And, and, you know, COVID I think has in fate. And I talked about this constantly. I mean, it's shown us like how, you know, we thought we had some equity, um, but we, we don't. And especially for, you know, working moms, um, and, you know, add on layers of complexity, whether that means you're a mother of, of color or different SES or you have a child with special needs. I mean, this has just been so hard. And I was like, how I, I don't like to see other women, people suffer unnecessarily. It makes me so sad. And then to also see Feta, who was in, you know, I think just starting to just like come into her own, you know, it's like just on the precipice. And I was like, oh girl, I'm so excited, you know? Um, and so it really has led me you know, to want to help create better connection, um, you know, for, for women, especially, and also of course, like non-binary professionals as well. So it's not, you know, it's not all about girls, but there's so many people that experience, you know, gender discrimination and, and bias and understanding that if we truly want to change the world, it starts with connection. 
Um, and it starts with authenticity and being honest and truthful to each other. It starts with seeing each other for our whole selves um, versus kind of compartmentalizing like professional Sarah versus personal Sarah or like it's behavior, babe, but you're also Amanda. Like we're all of the things, right? And so what I've been working on the last couple of months and I'll be doing um, more of in 2021 is, you know, launching this membership community um, that's focused on both helping, you know, women and non-binary professionals elevate themselves professionally and personally using the best of behavior science. Cause like, yo, we have awesome tools. We have the tools to do this stuff. So why don't we do it more? Um, why don't we share it more? Um, and so that's been, you know, something that's helped bring me back to life and in, engaging in this exercise and building this business out with a large group of women from all over the world. We span, you know, two continents, six time zones and all kinds of different boxes. We check all, all of our ladies check all the boxes, right. Has been just this, you know, gift to me um, and allowed me to kind of come back in contact, you know, with, with who I am, with my values, with the, my softer self and, yeah, I was like telling you and I'm, you know, I'm going to be going to Arizona and I don't, I don't know that I'm going to move there permanently, but I need to kind of have a change of pace. My business partner's down there. My daughter's going to come with me. I just need to, you know, kind of do something different. And, and so when else am I going to have the opportunity to take my, you know, teenage kid in school to a different state during the middle of the school year, because who cares where she is? She's in remote learning anyways. Right. Um, so I'm excited about that. So I remain, you know, and I'm hopeful that we, you know, we, there's vaccines. And so I'm really excited for, especially all of the frontline health staff to not be so terrified as much that are, you know, am I getting exposed to COVID? Am I exposing my family to COVID? Like people shouldn't have to be, you know, having living with that kind of stress and those decisions. And I'm, I'm so grateful and in awe of science um, to be able to, you know, kind of develop this vaccine and that's the most rapidly developed vaccine in human history. And, and I love that shit, right? Like, COVID has allowed people to do in, you know, innovating, th innovative things and, you know, kind of thrown out the rule book. And I like that because I'm a little defiant like that too. So I'm like, hell yeah, we're going to, you know, screw your expectations and your norms. We're doing whatever we want to do. And look what we have. We have these now two approved vaccines. Um, so I'm, you know, I am uh, cautiously optimistic about 2021. And I've been, you know, watching like your professional journey this year and especially in these last couple months. And it's been, um, it's made my heart happy, uh, because I know, you know, this has been such an intensive year and this loss has just been so, uh, gut wrenching. Um, but to see, you know, that, you know, humans have this incredible capacity for resiliency and to continue on. And, and I see that in you, um, and that gives me hope. Hope. We're back to hope. We start mm -hmm. with optimism. We get back to hope. Mm -hmm. I like the cautious part, of course. I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Shit, well, ain't, shit ain't over. I mean, like, let's be real. There's nothing magical that's going to happen on January 1st of this year. Like, you know, but, but yeah, I mean, what else do we have? What know? else do we have? You know, I am um, not usually a person who, who talks a lot about signs, I like to talk a lot about science or talk about science in sciencey ways. Mm -hmm. um, but just a little superstitious uh, thing I'll share is, as I mentioned, looking to you know find a house or a location to live um, because yes, I'm remote. I can be remote until it gets you know reasonable to be moving across the country, not during the pandemic. I found this house that I liked almost everything about it. I wasn't completely in love with it, but pretty close. And then I looked at the address. And it was 2020 winding something. And I'm like, you know what? No. Like, no, I am not buying a house that says yeah. 2020. You're like, mm -mm. I can't. For the rest of my life, I don't want to hear 2020 again. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. From my doctor. I don't want to hear it from historians. I don't want to hear mm -mm. it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah. And yeah, nothing magical about January 1st, 2021. But saying 2021 is like, all right, it's affirmation that we have survived mm -hmm. 12, 12 months of 2020. Almost, dare I say, but almost. almost. We are a few weeks away, a few mm -hmm. weeks away. Mm -hmm. Sarah, this has been so interesting because I have had very few things that just bring this much joy to my day during a pandemic in particular. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned I'm at my parents' house. You mentioned telling people and exposing our softer selves. 
when I first got here, I asked my parents if we could go through some of the, the photos that I had. And I had photos of their wedding. I was not there mm-hmm. that my great aunt gave me that they have never seen. Yeah. And I asked them if I could record them. It's two hour and a half clips. And it's hilarious because um, like my mom shuffles out of the room and you can hear her slippers. And I say to my dad, dad, why are you wearing a yellow tux? Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, I don't know. I think your mom told me to. And I yeah. was like, oh, okay. So then my mom comes back in and I'm like, mom, why is dad wearing a yellow tux? And she goes, oh, because, you know, the girls were wearing yellow bridesmaid dresses. And I was like, okay. And why were they wearing yellow bridesmaid dresses? She's like, so they could match my flowers. And I had daisies. And I was like, oh, so I said, so dad's wearing a yellow tux because you told him to. And he's like, yeah, see, that's what I said. Yeah. The banter (laughs) is so hilarious. So authentic. I'll have to make sure I give my sister a copy. Um, And when else in my life, well, actually there's been a couple of times, but when in my life do I get to spend six months with my folks? Or like you said, taking your daughter, heading to Arizona. And the answer is now. Mm -hmm. Now is when we get to do that because there's no time like the present to work shit out. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, I totally agree. What do you want to say to 2021? To 2021? Mm -hmm. I'm ready for you. (laughs) Bring it. Step bring it, up. it Yeah. <laughs> bring it on. Mm-hmm. Right. Bring it on. All right. When we can all be in person again, where do you, where do you want that to be? What kind of event do you envision? Ooh. Oh, okay. Where do I want it to be? Mm, I think so many people like know me for like conferences, but I don't think I would pick that. Um, where do I want it to be? on the beach. Yeah. I love like, just like the happiest days of my life have always been like water days, whether it's like, you know, a lake, um, or the ocean, um, boats, you know? Yeah. I, I would love, you know, cause you were saying like, you hadn't been, um, to Thailand and Thailand's pretty great. I've been to Bangkok, but I will say like one of the most beautiful beaches that I've ever been in, in my life is, you know, is Kailua Beach. Um, and that, I saw you there in July of 2019. That I brought my kids there. So that's where I had was was married. My um, One of my best friends from college grew up in Kanyohe. And like, I just love Kailua, you know, just like getting like shave ice. You're like sweaty. You're going on like kayak, you know, maybe you're hiking a little bit. Um, you know, people come home back to your house for like a barbecue, hang out. You know, it's just like chill, right? I mean, it's just like relaxed, it's chill. And that's, I would love nothing more than that to just like be with a group of people that I enjoy doing, being outside, enjoying the earth. Um, yeah, yeah <laughs> that, that would be mine. What about you? Well, I would definitely join you there. I was saying to Kristen, you know, I never got to say goodbye to Hawaii and it doesn't need mm-hmm. to be goodbye, but you, you would say a hui ho. Yeah. See you soon. Time, see right? you soon. Yeah. 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 See you soon. Uh, until next time. And her husband in the background goes, well, that's great because the next time you come and say aloha, it'll be hello, not goodbye. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that framing, Brian. That was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, nature, I I love nature. I don't don't actually care where I am because nature is so beautiful in almost any place. My parents' backyard, I was filming hummingbirds the other day and it was like the highlight of my week Mm -hmm. because hummingbirds are awesome and fun fact or weird fact. They don't exist in Hawaii. Oh, really? Do I know? Oh, yeah. So at least they're here in Las Vegas. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. And gosh, where would I want to gather with everybody again? Yeah, you know, I think I look forward to when hugging feels safe and doesn't have to be with second thoughts. Mm-hmm. I am a hugger anyhow. That's the aloha that got deeply ingrained in me as well. Um, and so I, I want, I want to just, I want to touch, like not touch people inappropriately, but I just like, are you there? Like you're Mm -hmm. really there. It's really you. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to that for sure. For sure. Um, thanks Sarah. I feel, you know, we've, we've found some positive ways to navigate throughout that year. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, 
and obviously are, we're still going to, you know, kind of have to call upon our resiliency and strength for, for next year too. Um, because like we said, it's like, again, there's, there's nothing magical that's happening on, on January 1st, but I will say it is, even if it's just like, you know, just the, the performing like that calendar shift, right? Like, okay, I don't like, and if I'm writing a check, it's 2021. If I have a calendar in my house, it's 2020. I mean, I will. Yeah. I am not sad to see this year go. I, oh yeah. I say aloha. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's no a hooey ho for this. Yeah. One. There, there is no a hooey ho. Uh, no it's, a hooey hooey no. it's a hooey no. It's a hooey no. And with that, <laughs> well, we have to chat more. It's always fun when we do. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Thanks for having me, girl. Cool. Yeah. For anyone else who wants to check out any awesome shit we're doing, for me, behaviorbabe.com. You ha- you're going to drop a link or tell us where to find you? Yeah, it's Defy Community. D-E-F-Y <laughs> dot community. That's where you can find me. Yeah. Out there, defying the norms, defying expectations. Because, you know, well-behaved women rarely make history. <laughs>